Hey everybody, welcome back to the Nerd Nest Podcast. I'm Bill, and today I am joined by Russ from Retro Game Core and Carrie, uh, who is over at The Fox. Hey guys, how's it going today? Super good. It's a beautiful day out here. It's nice and rainy in Hawaii, and I, I love the rain, so it's great. No, I mean, it's the rainbow state because it rains there every day, though, right? I mean, when I lived there, it rained every single day for about an hour, and then it was over. Yeah, exactly. No no matter what, somewhere on the island, it's going to be raining. Nice. How's your day going, Carrie? Uh, Not too bad. Uh, It's a little bit of pretty all right. A little bit of pretty all right. All right. Well, if this is your first time here, this is the Nerd Nest podcast where myself and some uh, buddies of mine, we sit down and we chat about the latest gaming news. And we've got a lot to cover today. Uh, We're going to talk about the games that we've been playing. And we're also going to talk about the Rogue Ally, uh, probably whether or not E3 is ever going to return and maybe something about remakes. So if that sounds good, let's go ahead and get started. Um, so first off, I want to talk. Well, first off, uh, Russ, you said that you've been playing Legend of Zelda for the NES. Now, if you guys don't know, he has a retro channel, so I'm sure <laughs> that a lot of time he's going to be playing old games. But last week we were talking about Breath of the Wild and how it compared to um, uh, Legend of Zelda for the NES. Is that why you were playing Zelda this week? Yeah, absolutely. So I was just like, you know what? Maybe I'm losing the magic of Legend of Zelda by playing Breath of the Wild like any other open world game. And so um, so I ended up, yeah, like I, I had my old, like uh, one of my older handhelds and I was like, let's just try it out. Initially, I actually gave it to one of my sons because we were going on a little trip and he was like, I said, here, just play this, whatever. And that's what he ended up picking. And that got me thinking, I'm like, maybe I should play it too. So I played a little bit and I did it without looking at the internet or looking at any maps. And I just like jumped in and just like went into the first dungeon and it's just getting whooped, you know, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not like, I'm not a skilled gamer. Like I've never been, you know, and so it was just rough, but you know, save states help a lot when it comes to emulation too. So I can just kind of save it and be like, all right. So I don't have to have that anxiety of like, oh crap, I'm going to have a game over screen here soon. And so, yeah, it was a good experience. Like I just kind of uh, played through not not a lot, might be the first ten percent of the game, but that's a lot for me. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it was just a little bit. It was unique because it's obviously you're walking into something that is old and well-tread, you know, but for me, it hasn't been. Like, the last time I played it was when Nintendo dropped it on the Wii Virtual Console on Christmas Day. And I think that was, like, 2007, I think. That was, it's, that was the ago. last time I really gave some time with this game. And so, yeah, I enjoyed it. That was really about it. I just kind of wanted to follow up from last week. I replayed it, I don't know when. I'm going to say, I don't know, like, three years ago, I played through it again. And man, I absolutely loved it, especially like the final dungeon. It's just such a fantastic game. And there's a reason why it's it for me, it stands the test of time. But you brought up something that I think is an interesting uh, discussion topic. And Mm -hmm. you mentioned save states. I use save states. I have zero problem with save states. Uh, How do you feel about save states, Carrie? Oh, love them. Absolutely love them. They're the best thing ever. Like they're Save states, fast forwarding. Fast forwarding is like the only way that I'll play JRPGs from like a long, long time ago. It's like you look at the box art; it's like you know, 140 hours of gameplay. Like, let's make it 20. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my god, those those older games they did not respect your time even a little. They were like they always felt like they were going for let's make sure that the back of the box says that we can reach 50 hours of content or something like that. And I was like. 
I I don't have time for that, especially as an old man. I found yeah. time for it when I was a kid, though. You know what my favorite game to play with save states is? Is Tecmo Super Bowl. I, I, I play that game dirty. I basically, every play, I will just save it and be like, okay, I try to predict what they're going to do on their end, and then I'll try to win like 99 to 0. It doesn't go over 99. And that's like my goal. It's like I just want to spend a half hour just creaming some team, you know, and so I always do that. I love it. I remember when I was a kid playing Tecmo Super Bowl, and there was one play. I don't remember or maybe it was John Elway's uh, quarterback. Mm. I think it was John Elway's quarterback where there was always one play that you could play. I don't remember what it was, but it would make your character, like the, the whoever was running it, faster than everybody else and nobody <laughs> could catch them. And it was nice. like my friends and I would just always use that play because it was hilarious watching other people try and catch up. Yeah. Uh, Gary, what have you been playing this week, man? Anything? Um no, the only thing that I played, I was trying to catch up on some Game Pass games that were going to be leaving the service. So um, there, there's uh, Annapurna Interactive. They make some really interesting games that are kind of artsy, uh, but they're short. They're like super short. So whenever I see that they're leaving from Game Pass, I'm like, okay, I, I it's an hour or two and I can just like play this and, and enjoy it. So I always try to like do that. So the thing was like a memoir blue that uh, was leaving, but I didn't get a chance to finish that. Um, but... Before we go too far into that, I just wanted to mention two things. Uh, number one, Tecmo Bowl. Uh, as a kid, I determined my favorite football team just by the colors of the Raiders. <laughs> I was like, man, these guys have the best colors. I'm a Raiders fan. Like, <laughs> like on the other side, guy. Um, and also, for uh, speaking of um, Legend of Zelda, a, a thing that you guys should take a look at is, uh, is a prototype that someone came out with called Breath of the Ness which is using the same type of prototyping they did for Breath of the Wild, where they mm -hmm. remade Legend of Zelda. But they you can play through basically what's looking like Legend of Zelda, but with a Breath of the Wild type of systemic, uh, systemic type of properties. Oh, wow. okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So what were the Game Pass games that are, that are leaving that you checked out? It was called Memoir Blue, I think it is. It's from Anna Perna Interactive. Um, this is so this is this week. This is the new set that are leaving this month. Oh, so uh, you mean last month? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Um yeah, the only thing from there is probably Riftbreaker that I want to um uh play. Uh that's the one thing about like Game Pass is like whenever I take a look at the games that are leaving, if you go to like uh gamepassport.net, it's a fantastic Game Pass site that you can quickly and easily um just kind of navigate through what you want you can like sort by like time to completion games that are couch co-op multiplayer wow. yeah it's 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 a really wow. cool site game this Passport. cool super great site for game pass people uh so if you have game pass this is like a really easy way to like especially if you have buddies and friends you're like what should we play well like well let's just click on these little buttons and like this is it we have 10 games that we can choose from all together because we have the same games um so it's a site that I really recommend, but you can also choose games that say on the top where it says availability, it says leaving soon. So you can always just kind of go there and you say leaving soon and games that are easy to finish within like one to two hours. And I'm like, okay, well, out of this list, there's not much like, I guess Life is Strange is probably going to be the shortest one there or Quantum Break. Mm -hmm. Quantum wow. Break is coming back though. Quantum yeah. Break, uh, they had a licensing thing, Snafu. So it's leaving, but it's also coming back to Game Pass. So... Um, but yeah, that's just a little tip if you wanted to get through a game. It's like, oh, no, it's leaving. I didn't get a chance to play it and just use Game Passport on it. That's an awesome. I never heard of that website. So right there, I'll make sure to try and add that to the show notes, everybody, uh, because that's super, super useful. Um, Richard, who's probably going to join us later, wanted to talk about uh, Resident Evil 4 Remake. He wanted to talk about the difficulty. I will say 
That game is really hard, like really hard, but I also feel like it's fair because every time that I'm playing it, like I might get killed a bunch of times, like especially I had to fight these two guys that can only hear you and can't see you and uh, they killed me a whole bunch of times. Uh, but eventually I overcame and I haven't like lowered the difficulty. Uh, although I feel like they make the shooting mechanics in that game punishing, uh, like sloppy on purpose in order to increase the, like the horror factor. I could be wrong about that. Um, but have either of you guys been playing, uh, resident evil four remake? I meant to, after we talked about it, you know, before I just, I need to get through the demo. But then yeah. also, you know, you talked, Bill, about playing it on the PS5. And I thought, you know what? Because I, I'm, I'm too scared of that dang game, right? And I don't like playing it on the PC. But I think, P, you know, PS5 on the couch, like that just seems a little bit easier for me. And so I've been meaning to pick it up, but it's just uh, it's a hard pill to swallow at that price. So Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. So uh, that I have been playing a game on my PSVR 2, mm-hmm. uh, which is absolutely fantastic it's also available on pc vr i'm i i've been told uh and that is the light brigade this game is a roguelike shooter and it is so so good uh it's procedurally generated so every time you 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 know you get a your rifle uh and a pistol and a magic wand and then you go into a procedurally generated uh area where these dudes who are like uh, they're procedurally generated too, uh, based on like what weapons they're going to have and, uh, like what kind of stuff that, like how many of them are going to be there. And you go into like room to room to room, uh, fighting them and collecting, uh, souls essentially. Every time you kill one, uh, you get some soul stuff, which you can then exchange for like, it's a currency you can exchange for stuff and you can find where other players have gotten killed. And like you just kind of hold your your hands up together in front of your face to pray for them. And then you get their souls back. And then you can use those souls to buy like grenades and all kinds of crazy stuff. And of all the games that I've had on my PSVR 2 since I've gotten it, this is the one I think that I've played the most. And the one where I have played for the longest amount of time in one sitting because it is just so addictive as you're playing it. And then the last thing that I'll say is the the one thing about it that I don't like is the fact that when you're playing this, I'm always afraid to like, I have yet to try this, but I have not shut the game off mid run. Like I don't see an obvious way for me to save (laughs) mid run so that I can go do something else with my life. So every single time that I've played, I have played through a full run uh, not necessarily a full run, but I've played through until I've gotten killed. Uh, and then I, that's when I stop, but it's the light brigade. It's awesome. If you've got a VR headset, it's on PSVR two. I believe it's also on PC and it is incredibly addictive. Do either of you guys play uh, v- VR at all? I've been thinking about getting the PSVR and that game looks interesting too, but I have a question. Yeah. Do you get penalized when you die. Like that's the, that's my least favorite thing in a game. Like when what, I well, lose something and I can't get it back, like, oh, it stresses me out. Okay. So when you die in the game, mm-hmm. uh, you, you have like three lives essentially. And so when you die in the game, your stuff, not your weapons and stuff, but just the souls that you've collected is on like your corpse. And you mm-hmm. go back into the level and you pray at your corpse to get that stuff back. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so but if like you die, Demon Souls games, yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. But if you die three times, uh, then your game is over and you're starting over again because it's a roguelike. Mm -hmm. It's it's always a fresh run. But depending on how well you perform, you will get like skill points, which then you can pay like you can use those skill points to upgrade your gear and stuff like that. So even even though, yes, you do lose some souls when you die, there is a punishment for dying you're always kind of progressing your character further. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah, that's exactly what I was hoping something that stacks, you know. I think it was the game Control. Like, I started dying in that one, and it, like, was... I was losing, like, 10% of your inventory every time you die. And I was like, this is not working for me mathematically. Like, I'm, I'm going to be going to zero here soon. And so... Mm. Uh, that, that, like, I, I didn't finish the game, like mostly because of that. And so, yeah, I'm always on the hunt for a good game that's stackable, like Hades or something. Right. But mm. I don't like to be punished like for dying. And so, yeah. yeah, this is very much like Hades. All right. So let's go ahead. I got kids at the, at the door. We'll talk later. All right. So, uh, let's go ahead and move on to the news. And I think that a lot of us are, are going to be interested in talking about the rogue ally or the, the rogue ally, the, uh, Asus ROG ally, which I'm going to say that we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but last week we, it was funny, like Russ mentioned this in our, in our, our, our little private discord channel, um, that we killed E3. Like yesterday we mentioned the E3, was uh, having Ubisoft is backing out and somebody else is backing out. I can't remember who. Like all these these companies were backing out and we're like, boy, is E3 on its last legs? I think so. And then it got canceled like the next day. So here's my question to all of you. Um, do you guys think that E3 is ever coming back? Carrie, I'm going to have you go first. Oh, that's a tough question, man. You pin it on me first as well. Uh, I do. I, I'm a jerk. Tell, I, tell your I, friends. I I think that they're – it's a tough question. I would personally assume that they would take this opportunity. I'm saying they the, – the bigger companies will take this opportunity to have their own show. Summer Game Fest, uh, which we determined was called the Summer Game Fest, is also a nice slot for it. But even just like the the second week of June being like the ideal time for this – I personally think that as a convention, it's hard to say. I, I do feel like there's still a chance for it. Uh, Read Pop is a really good organization, and mm -hmm. I have been to PAX East multiple times, and they run it like a well-oiled machine. So um, I think that the problem uh, the problems are is really just the, the ESA's association with it more than Read Pop's association with it. But like, I do think that there's a lot of people that – Love E3. They want to see it come back. And I think that we're going to have some type of E3 regardless of E3 existing. So uh, I don't know. It's it's a tough one. I'm going to say no. Okay. So Fox says no. Uh, Russ, what do you think? I also think that, yeah, it's probably doomed. And But the thing is, I really think there needs to be an alternative. Like the biggest thing, and I've seen it on Twitter a few times, is people talking about kind of the collaboration and competition that happens among the different booths while they're there, you know, all the different uh, publishers and developers and stuff getting together and kind of innovating there in the space. Number one, you know, they're meeting each other and kind of getting, making those connections too. But then the other part is like seeing what the other people are doing in person and how that kind of affects their own development framework. And so there needs to be something like that. You know, I, I haven't ever been to a game convention, but I went to CES earlier this year 
And I saw the same thing happening in the tech space. You know, a lot of it was like VR related tech stuff, but all the same, I was watching how people like would go around the other booths, see what other people were doing and kind of come up with these fresh ideas. Even for me as like a YouTuber with, you know, retro game content, like I had a lot of great ideas coming out of CES as well. And so I, yeah, we need something with that collaboration and whatnot. And if E3 isn't going to be it, then yeah, like Carrie was mentioning, we need an alternative. Yeah. And uh, you know what? I think that, I think all the gaming companies realize that uh, it's, it's easy for them to put out a video at a certain time and they don't have to spend the money. Like right. you got to spend a lot of money to get to E3, to get yourself a hotel. Uh, and then you got to pay for the booth. And, you know, you also got to transport equipment and stuff in order to set up your booth and you got to pay people while you're there. Like that's a really expensive thing, especially when you, you uh, contrast that against, Hey, we'll just release a video on YouTube around right. the beginning of September or the, the mid, mid, not September, mid June. Uh, and that counts as E3. And so, like you said, Carrie, like, I, I feel like E3 is still a thing, but going to E3 for these, like for them to organize a big thing where like all of the journalists and stuff get together and go to E3 in order to see this stuff ahead of time. It's just so much easier now to just do that stuff online. It's different when they're showing off hardware because then you got to be able to show that hardware off. It's not like you can download it. But when you can say like uh, Jeff Keighley's Summer Game Fest where they're like, by the way, these games are going to be download. These demos are going to be downloadable on Steam during the uh, Summer Games Fest or during um, what's the winter one, the, the Game Awards. Uh, like all that stuff is much easier and uh, and just an easier way to for people for co these companies to get to customers and get their message across. The one thing that I thought was really weird is their like their response to this is they said companies were talking about taking up huge spaces. The E three team was was looking at how we could expand into the car park and use extra areas that hadn't been used for years. Uh, it was full steam ahead, but then the mood changed and people were like. Our games aren't ready. We don't have code, which is a really weird phrase to say. We don't have code. I don't right. know what that means. Uh, and we can't be seen as extravagant in this economy. I think that economy, I think that's fine. Or the timing isn't quite right. Do you think that a lot of companies are like, all right, we have to delay. So going to E3 is a bad idea because we have to delay our games again. Are we still seeing that that can? continuation of delays of games from the pandemic um you, you can go ahead first ross i was gonna say you know it is possible but i think it's just culture has shifted since the pandemic i hear these kind of things at work as well you know or when i used to work i'm retired now but <laughs> you know like that's the typical thing is that people kind of make uh the, the pandemic becomes an excuse for everything. And so whether or not it is, is, an, is mm -hmm. its own thing. And so, yeah, I'm not surprised by any of those responses. You know, I think that's just kind of a norm that we say nowadays. Uh, but whether or not it's true, yeah, I don't know. Well, next time I want to, uh, you know, delay a video, I'm just going to say I don't have the code. <laughs> uh, hey, Richard. Uh, hey Richard just joined us. Uh, he, he had an appointment that went a little bit late. Um, we already got past the games that we've been playing, but I know that you wanted to mention Resident Evil 4 Remake for the difficulty level of it. 
Uh, just real quick. Yeah, what's your I'll, on that? I will make it quick. So Resident Evil 4, the original, had dynamic difficulty. And the remake scraps the dynamic difficulty altogether. And so that's been interesting to me as someone who is a real big fan of the dynamic difficulty. Um, where, yeah, if, if you were having trouble. If you were having trouble. Oh, Richard, I'm, I'm losing your, your audio okay. again. Uh, you've, you've faded away. You may want to like reboot something. Uh, could, you, could you say that last yeah, part so again? If you were having trouble in Resident Evil 4 in the original, it would adjust the difficulty level down. But more importantly for me was if you were doing really well, it would give you more enemies. It would give you a harder time. Oh. And so right now I'm I'm blasting through a few bosses and I kind of miss the fact that like, yeah, if you were having a really good time, if you were doing really well, it would throw some more enemies at you. So that's what I wanted to say in mm. regard to Resident Evil 4. I never played the original. That sounds really cool. Um, I wish more games would do that kind of thing where it like says, all right, Bill's pretty good. Okay, let's be honest. Bill is terrible at this, so let's <laughs> take it easy on him. Yep. Um, <laughs> we don't want him to quit because he's yep. too scared. Uh, anyway, that's awesome. Okay. Uh, now, well, now that everybody's here, I wanted to talk. Uh, a lot. Everybody wanted to talk about the ROG ally. Um, so I want to take this in sections. Okay. Number one. First, let's talk about the announcement on April Fool's Day. A lot of people are saying that's a bad move. I think on uh, PR-wise, I think it was a great move because it got a bunch of people talking about it, asking, is it real? So there's article number one written about this thing. And then two, ask. then they put the next article, it is real. And so they get twice the amount of coverage. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that I like that they did that, but I think that it worked for them. Uh, what do you guys think about them announcing real things on April Fool's Day, which is a huge tech holiday? Yeah, you know, I, I kind of saw through it personally. I was like, there's no way this can be an April Fool's joke. Like the Best Buy integration, you know, it just mm -hmm. and, and the amount of money they spent making that trailer and stuff. Yes, it was kind of, you know, cheeky or whatever. But all the same, uh, yeah, I just I was like, this thing's real. And so when I posted a tweet about it, I was just like, yeah. Here it is. This is the specs. This is what I'm interested in, you know. And then uh, I got a lot of comments of like, oh, this isn't real. And I'm like, okay, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk tomorrow then. <laughs> I liked it. I, yeah. I didn't mind it. All right, Carrie. Um, yeah. So, I mean, this is like kind of like a, a, like as you said, like a tech holiday. Like Gmail was announced on April Fool's Day. And everyone's like, oh, ha, 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 five gigabytes. Um, but yeah, so I, I kind of like when companies do real April Fool's things because. I don't know. It's uh, better than a lot of the other type of like I when I did an April Fool's thing, I like it to be like definitely understood that it's a, a fool like you like, oh, that's just a joke. But it's the ones that are cruel are the ones that you like kind of like believing in it. And you get to the end of it. And it's like April Fool's. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah. Where you're like, oh, I really want this to happen. And then it's not real. Yeah. Those ones are always the ones that uh, I dislike a lot. Um, so you always have to like kind of pepper it a little. I think the thing that got me a bit was when I just did a cursory glance of it i was like is that just the aoki zoe that they yeah. got and that yeah it like, looks like, like uh, did they just yeah i was like hmm did they just dress that up a little bit um so yeah that was my initial thought and literally i'd woken up to it and i looked at him like bleary-eyed oh what is this um Still, uh, still a big fan of it. Is, is there mm -hmm. any chance that one netbook or the sister company to one netbook could be providing help in design here is there any chance of that 
it seems like a no, right? I would say no, but then there was some some weird stuff going on with uh, OneNet and Tencent. Um, mm. So Tencent, I think, had a patent that was basically OneNet's design. Um, so there, there, it's not out of the ordinary to see this, uh, but with a company like Asus, I would say no. Um, but that's just that's just me personally. Yeah, well, I I'd also like, say, right. I mean, look at cell phones. They're all rounded rectangles because that's really like the best design for a cell phone right now. So, I, I, I mean, I think is, essentially most stuff is going to look the same anyway. Yeah. If I was to be my most reductive, I would say that the Asus engineers Googled, <laughs> you know, handheld PCs, saw the AOK Zoe A1 and were like, all right, let's start here. You know, and that's the worst <laughs> one to start with. That's just, yeah. Look at that. Look at, look at that yeah, D-pad. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's move on from uh, from the the April Fool's thing and talk about the form factor. Now, of course, none of us have had it in our hands. All right, so here's my question: What I like, I, I watched the the Linus Tech Tips thing where he showed that it doesn't have the curves that the uh, that the Steam Deck has, which makes it super comfortable. And then who was the other who was the other one that got their hands Dave, on it? Dave, I can't remember Dave, his name. Dave Tudy. Dave 2D, yeah. So then Dave 2D, he kind of mentioned that it didn't have those contours either. What do you guys think about the comfort of this thing versus, say, the Steam Deck, which I think for everybody is one of the most comfortable devices ever, in my opinion? Uh, yeah. Richard, start with you. I think the D-pad looks horrendous. <laughs> no question about that. Um, otherwise, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I like the, the wider handles uh, on the Steam Deck, but the buttons look fine the the analogs look fine i do wish it was whole sensor as, as well of course uh, it, it looks like an ionio 2 just that d-pad is terrible so that that's my biggest concern right now all right uh so richard just so you know you are your volume down. is all over the place again so i'm not sure what's happening there Take a look. uh yeah thank you mother rat for letting us know uh fox what do you think uh, about the the overall design of this thing having not had it in your hands I think the design is fine. Uh, I mean, I'm when it comes to the design of things, I'm not really a, a stickler to how the thing looks or how its ergonomics are because er ergonomics are it's a whole bag of nuts anyway. When when you're talking about that, because people's hand sizes are different, so what I like doesn't necessarily translate to other people. That also goes along with like fan loudness. In all of my times looking at fans, people generally it's just binary. It's is the fan when people say is the fan loud what they really mean is can you hear the fan <laughs> yeah. and that's just a yes or no question so when people say is the fan loud it's just like yes the fan is loud they're like oh i can't believe it's so loud and i'm like well <laughs> i mean it's audible so yeah you're probably not going to like it but i don't really care about an audible fan unless it's like like really high pitched and whiny I, it doesn't typically bother me um so that's um that's the that's like the only thing I would say is like when you talk about ergonomics, how it feels, how loud the fan sounds are that I am traditionally very lenient on that point aside. Like I'll mention it, but it's not something that I will meet myself personally drill on outside of. I do like how the offsets are. So the analogs to the D pad for my thumb, like how thumbs are going to travel. Mm -hmm. I think that's fine. So for for me, I think it's fine. It's it's a you know slate based candy bar shaped handheld it's i think it's fine 
According to the you know Carrie, as long as if it's not a if it's not a clamshell, he's not having it. It's already it's already inferior. So, <laughs> uh, Russ, you are huge into handhelds. What do you think of this thing? So uh, there are a couple things I think they got right. Number one, like Carrie was just mentioning, like they have set the uh, face buttons, D pad, all that stuff, the, even the analog sticks, a little bit higher on the device, so they're in the top half. That's going to make it more comfortable. That's how the AOK Zoe did it, and actually that was a pretty comfortable handheld, honestly. Uh, I don't like how it's squared off at the corners and the edges, but uh, there's definitely still a way that that can be comfortable. Um, but I am worried about Lin- Linus's video where he said, essentially what he said is, oh, you're holding it wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like the same thing they said about the iPhone. Remember when the antenna issues and stuff? And I'm like, man, you can't just like tell us how to hold it. Like it should just be naturally <laughs> like ergonomic. And so I'm a little worried about that. Cause he was like, yeah, you have to hold it at this angle in order for it to feel good. And, um, I don't know. We'll see about that. If you start already making excuses, then that's, that's a bad sign, but yeah. all the same, I don't know. They've got a lot. It's it's a relatively biggish handheld, so they've got a little bit of uh, room to work with. And so the biggest thing for me is that they're putting thought into it and they're taking feedback. And so that's that's important to me. Yeah. As far as that D-pad goes, I think that D-pad looks like hot garbage on a stick. But I also thought the same thing about the PlayStation D-pad um, on the DualShock 4. Hmm. And that doesn't bother me at all. I thought I thought the same thing about the new xbox one which has like it's a circle with like the tilty whatever's thing and that doesn't bother me at all and i thought the same exact thing about the stadia d-pad i thought that thing looked like garbage and then when i played it i was like oh this d-pad's actually fine for me but then again i don't play fighting games but if you're playing fighting games you're probably using a stick anyway you know what i mean like not not a stick on the device but like uh like those joystick things a fight stick right all right. Um, apparently, this thing has no gyro. Did I re- hear that right? Uh, there, there's no mention of it. Like we don't. That, that was like an open question that I had on my side. Is that they didn't reveal much of anything of how the controller was initialized, how it's interpreted. It from the command center that they have, it looks like it's always on, and you can switch between having it trying to automatically determine if a game is running, I guess, through some API in the background to then kick in the controllers. And then it'll switch over to a mouse emulation mode, but you can actually manually do this yourself through the command center. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what mechanism they are doing this through. Is it advertising itself as a 360 controller, as an Xbox One controller? In this case, it wouldn't have gyro, but then you can get that done on IONEO and GPD because of uh, the BMI 160 uh, sensor that they have on there. So... Uh, does it have it? I don't know, but we don't know because they didn't say anything. So it's just like kind of like an an open question uh, that there's just like they spent for me. It's just like, OK, I, I get it. But you could have just gave us a little bit more information, I guess. I don't know. It's just not have, enough. Information. Have any of you? Yeah, I think that those are really important things to to know. Like if it doesn't have gyro to me, that's a that's a that's a no deal, uh, especially for PC gaming, because a lot of games like they they're not going to work. Same thing with the track pads. I think this thing looks awesome, but it doesn't have track pads. How are you going to play X game? You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Richard, you yeah, look like you had something to say. The, the leaks and rumors for like the features on this. I don't know how legit it is, but it, it mentions um, that the, the dark controls were not functioning properly in Windows. Um, it says an October release date it has a pricing on there. 512 649 um yeah i i can't tell how legit this is but 
Yeah, I, I have no idea how legit it is. Well, I guess that's a that's a good transition to talk about price. Um, I when I saw it, I said to my, I mean, six forty nine, eight nine, six five five hundred twelve gigs for six forty nine, and a terabyte for eight ninety nine seems, well, a incredibly impre- uh, uh, aggressive, and b almost impossible. Like they don't have, they don't have the Steam store to help them make money on sales of this thing. You know what I mean? Is yeah. that uh Richard, what do you think about the price? About what what is what do you think is the right price for I this think device? If they can get it at 650, that's a knock it out of the park, right? But I I kind of have the same concerns Carrie that you mentioned in your video about just is it even have they even gotten that far in terms of like analysis, right? Are they still trying to figure out how many people will buy this thing and based on that determine what the price is? And that seems a lot more realistic at this point in time than they actually have a set price and they're going to launch in, you know, five months from now. That It seems a lot more realistic that they're still thinking about that, thinking through that and gathering information on that. Yeah. Uh, Russ? So I had a couple thoughts about that. Number one, I hope that they have kind of like the Steam Deck one where they have a very low tier model. Uh, which is going to be like what everyone can say, oh, well, this is what it costs. Everyone says the Steam Deck costs $400, but how many people buy the $400 model, right? And then they got to get the SD card and all that kind of stuff. So I hope that they do have a good entry-level price, and I'm hoping between six dollars and $700. And then for all the people who are chasing the numbers, which I think are going to be, you know, those are the people that will be more attracted to this device just because of all the specs, 120 yeah. hertz, all that kind of stuff. Give them a really expensive one, and maybe they can recoup their costs from that. You know what I mean? Like someone who wants to get the ultra spec twelve hundred dollar one, great, but give us the six hundred dollar one as well. You know, and so I'm hoping that'll happen. The second component, I and I'm just kind of wishing out loud with this one, is that I hope that at some point there's like a partnership with like Microsoft. For example, make this like there's already an Xbox or a Game Pass logo on their website, right? Mm-hmm. Make this a Game Pass like partner device. Let Microsoft get in on the cut of that, you know, bring some capital to it, bring down the price maybe, but then also throw on three months of Game Pass or whatever partnership needs to be, right? I'd love to see something like that. If Microsoft is going to make their own handheld, then partner with somebody to bring down the cost for everything everybody that makes a lot of sense to me um i will say that i'm i'm not saying what price do i think that we want i was i'm saying what price do i think is realistic um i don't see them hitting anywhere close to the low end of the the steam deck i think that's bananas i when i first saw it i was like this is going to be 900 for the cheapest version 650 uh carrie do you think that's possible 650 for that so the problem is, is that I know, I know a lot of things that I don't, it's difficult for me to say out loud because there's multiple people that I have conversations with mm-hmm. um, and I know what chip it is. And well, I know I've been told by uh, a number of people what it was and they all aligned on the same one. Um, okay. And this also goes back before it was even announced. Um and then I also know, based on that, what another company knows what they can sell a device like that for, and it's under 650 Really? Okay. Um, so the prices make sense, uh, but the problem is, is that Asus has thousands of com- uh, you know, employees, and I still feel like it's a whole other Alienware UFO situation where they have brought this thing out and are looking to see how much interest is in it. And you know, they're saying it's a prototype right now, and they're bringing it out. They didn't have it ready for CES, 
So this is now the next best thing is that they go to Linus and Dave 2D to try to mm-hmm. drum up some type of awareness. So now for me, I still feel like that that sign up thing is a, a thinly veiled survey for them yeah. to get data from and they just have a partnership with Best Buy. I think that it's further along than the UFO ever was. And only because the Steam Deck has uh, made a nice landing pad for a lot of different companies, right? Oh, yeah. So there's an easier way for them to entertain this. However, the reality is that gamers are um, very opinionated on what uh, a gaming thing should cost. Um, so every, when everyone ever talks about the Steam Deck, even though Gabe said, oh, we're surprised that so many, bought, so many people bought the, the most expensive model and they're not actually buying the $400 model. When people talk about the Steam Deck, they only reference it at that $400 price. So this is the weird situation that we find ourselves in. Uh, the crux of it is is that, yes, the price is possible. Would Asus do that? I don't know. I think that they're still getting data. And then there's also uh, accessories and stuff that they're going to be selling, which is also add-on, like value-added stuff that is uh, part of the pie outside of just you know licensing deals or, or like buddy uh, buddy deals like Microsoft, like Russ had mentioned, which is already plastered on there. So for sure, there's got to be something there where they're getting some type of money. Um, but Best Buy has to make their money as well. So it's yeah. like all these all these things that have to make money. That um, this is where the price starts, you know, keeping increasing. And this whole thing is a real real problem. And you saw the same thing happen with the again the Ace, uh, the Alienware UFO. Where they were like, yeah, it's coming out. And everyone was like, that looks like a premium switch. I'd pay $500 for that. And it's like, wow, you're so off on what Alienware wants to charge for that. <laughs> uh, and as soon as they got like, you just look at all these tweets on comments. It was mm-hmm. just like, you know, this thing is just not going to happen. Um, yeah, um, it's just that it, it, the reality is that the Steam Deck has created the tiers of pricing. And um uh, my thought is that if if they're looking at this and they say, oh, only 10,000 people signed up and then, you know, if only 5,000 of those people are going to get it and we can't charge more than 800, let's just scrap the entire thing and then the whole thing won't actually ever materialize at all. Yeah, I can see that too. But like, I, I don't know if I'll change the title of the episode later, but the title of the episode right now as we record is, Will the ROG Ally Compete with the Steam Deck? If it hits that 600 whatever dollar price point, yeah. It competes with the Steam Deck. Oh, yeah. But if they don't do that, then that's not their competition. Their competition isn't the Steam Deck. Their competition is like all these other more expensive and more powerful gaming handhelds. And the cool thing about it is they all have the the same library. It's the PC library. So I can play the games on the PC or on, on the Steam Deck. And Carrie can play the games on the, the ROG Ally. And we're playing the same games. His games look a little bit better than mine or run at a little bit better of a frame rate. But I spent a little bit less money. And that's how PC gaming is. It's not about, well, I got a Dell and you got an Alienware and you got a... I don't even know. I don't know. I've always built my <laughs> old own computer, so I can't think of any other companies. Uh, but, like, you know... That's just which company are you playing your PC games on? So there's, but the, here's the thing is there's going to be these fanboys, these tribal fanboys that are like the Asus Rogue Ally, ROG, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> the ROG Ally is garbage and the Steam Deck is the best. And there's going to be people on the other side that are like, the Steam Deck is not as powerful. 
and it's just one more thing for people to to get to get grumpy about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one more thing I had my hopes up that you kind of deflated, Carrie, was um, the the fact that Asus was promoting this as they were working closely with AMD on the chip, and you're saying other people may have worked with this ship before or have, you know, considered this ship before. I don't know if it's Little Phoenix or it's not Little Phoenix, but either way, when I heard that from Asus, I was thinking about, you know, what Valve was able to do in terms of working on a below 15 watt kind of threshold, especially at the 12 watt, the eight to 12 watt sweet spot. That's what I was looking for from this. And then I heard the two, also I heard the two X at 35 watts and I'm like, that's not what I'm looking for. I think that's great for other people, but that's not what I was looking for. Um, so that, that was one thing that I got kind of deflated by from the last couple days of videos. It's still going to be a good chip and, uh, they can still thinly veil it as a custom, <laughs> uh, chip. Yep. Got mm-hmm. it. You know, the thing is for me, I actually am interested in that eGPU setup. Like yeah. I, you know, I have a big desktop PC, you know, I have all my handheld PCs. I got a bunch of mini PCs too. I could just have one and I know it's going to be way more expensive than having it piecemeal, you know, but the convenience of that and just having this really sleek interface, you know, I was even thinking to myself, okay, I can put the eGPU like under the desk, you know, I have it suspended underneath and just have one cable coming out and plug that up whenever I want to actually use it as a PC, you know, and just kind of go back and forth. Yes, I can do that on the Steam Deck, but honestly, I'm just playing the same low resolution games, but on a bigger screen when I'm doing that with the Steam Deck. I'd like the idea of just kind of having that set up. And I get it. You know, I have a couple of mini PCs that are capable of using eGPUs and I never want to do it because it's just so big and so many wires and all that kind of stuff. I'm the type of person where I'm actually in that target audience. I would like to see uh, just a one plug kind of solution. And so I'm interested in that component of it personally. I, I actually think that that's really compelling. When the Steam Deck first got announced... Like that was a that was one of the first immediate questions that I had was, does that does that USB C port support what is it Thunderbolt that it has to support in order to do Thunderbolt four right Yeah, they call it something different, but yeah, yeah. It, so does it have Thunderbolt four or whatever the heck it's called? It doesn't matter what they named it, uh, so that it will use an eGPU because I could see getting that and then an eGPU and then being able to play your games at a higher resolution on a TV. And playing them at a lower resolution on a low resolution screen when you are, uh, you know, on the go. I thought that that would be fantastic. But unfortunately, the Steam Deck doesn't do that. Maybe maybe the next Steam Deck. Um, but I mentioned resolution. So let's talk about that screen. Because that screen brings with it a whole bunch of problems, I think. Um, for those of you that don't know, it has a 16 by 9 screen, which I think is great. It's 1080p, which I think I personally think is overkill for a screen size of that, for a screen that size. And it has 120 hertz. Now, in my opinion, the reason that you do 120 hertz is to make it easier. Like maybe there's a couple of reasons. Number one, maybe it's easier for them to source because like getting old, getting lower refresh rate screens Maybe that's getting harder these days. I don't know. I'm not in that that world. Um, and B, 120 is divisible by 30 and divisible by 40. And that makes things a lot easier. Um, but what do you guys think of this 120 hertz? Is that just a selling point on the box? Or are they actually going to have 120 hertz games running on this thing that where you will actually want to? Carrie? Uh, uh, all right. So for a few things have to be addressed first is that 
the problems that I was trying to address in my video, and uh, a lot of people, I don't think, fully uh, contextualize what I was saying. If we take a look at like modern DX12 games that are running on Windows, there is no such thing as full screen exclusive mode. There is no such thing as full screen mode. You either have borderless window or windowed mode. And typically it will default to borderless window, which will be the base resolution of your Windows desktop. So it will be defaulting to what is running. So if it's set to 1080p 120, a game is going to set itself to that. And if you're trying to do that on that type of chip, you're not going to you're not going to have a good time. Um, like, I mean, most modern games are very, very demanding and 1080p. Yeah. 1080p 60. Yeah. 1080p 120, no, it might not be super awesome. So this is their command center, their command center that they do, that they have bringing out. There is a way that you can quick toggle resolution and there is a way that you can quick toggle frequency. So I think that as long as they have these, it's fine. But because I, we don't know what it's going to be at default, if it's going to be that, then there's going to be a lot of games that are going to just like hitting these things. Now, a 40 FPS cap does fit into 120 hertz just fine. And that's great and all good. The other thing that's really nice is that not a bunch of people are talking about is uh, BFI, black frame insertion, where you uh, insert a black frame in between other, every other frame. Essentially, you're hitting 60 FPS, but the re end result is that the motion looks far smoother. The only thing is that BFI will make the screen dimmer. But then again, it's 500 nits, so it's super bright. So mm. this will counter out the dimming of BFI, which is also a really cool feature. So now if we're talking 1080p 60 with BFI, that's cool. But the, you know, I would probably still do like 800p 60 with bfi if that's possible because the chip is still going to really excel in the 800p area uh 720p area and 1080p is still fine but the the bottleneck here is still the gpu and even though zen 4 is superior if we're talking about n7 zen 2 versus uh n4 zen 4 yeah it's a gigantic vast difference also you know if for emulation purposes we have avx 512 now so rpcs3 will be better on this chipset lots of things that are awesome about the cpu i'm not saying the cpu on this newer chip isn't great it's fantastic what i am saying is that rdna3 going from uh n7 rdna2 to n4 rdna3 is not the jump that we're all hoping it's gonna be in so far as the benchmarks that we've seen like the things that are beginning leaked and continually leaked we're looking at 20 to 30 percent better. Um, there's not much I can say more than that based on what's already publicly available. Um, so if you're looking at something that is going to be demanding on the GPU, going up in resolution is something that is going to be demanding on the oh, GPU. Yeah. And this is not something that RDNA 3 versus RDNA 2 is going to massively increase performance on. So what you're looking at is instead of a game running at 40 FPS, which a lot of games run at 800p 40, even though they're running at sub resolutions of 800p, is you're going to probably find that you're going to be running 800p 60 pretty comfortably inside of 15 watt on this particular device, which is still awesome. But the reality is you're half the resolution and half the frame rate of what it's made for. And I'm, I'm glad it exists. I'm, I'm happy it exists because there's some games that'll be able to play it, but uh, it's just it's just big number better type of thing. And that is the opposite of what we want on handhelds. And my concern is there's a lot of people saying, oh, this is negative and more people coming into it is great. My concern is that we're going to get more people in and they're going to get this and go, this is garbage. I don't like this at mm. all. Everything is bad. Mm. And I don't want to minimize options either, but not everyone is like us, right? They're oh, not, yeah, we're the nerds. Uh, yeah, so we are the enthusiasts, and we will take it to the next level. We're going to talk about things and know how to run things. Like, oh, okay, I just have to run this at a lower resolution. Anyone that's just going to pick this up at Best Buy is just going to, like, gun it and, like, why am I getting 40 FPS? It's supposed to be 1080p 120. 
And, yeah, because um, it says it on, it'll say it on the box, 1080p, 120, <laughs> and then they'll be like, well, this isn't what this says. So, yeah, this is, that's basically where my thought process is right now. I think <clears throat> for I, Asus, I just, Asus is a bigger company. I wish that they went in a different direction other than big number better is my main complaint at the moment. It's still going to be awesome. And I'm glad they're coming in here and, you know, the golden age of handhelds, it's fantastic. It is great. However, <laughs> uh, so moving on from that, Russ, battery life. Okay, this this screen, yep, 120 hertz, 1080p. Is it worth it to sacrifice the longer battery life that you would get out of something that had a sm- uh, a lower resolution, less frequently updated screen? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm the kind of person I don't like to gun my device at all, right? Like even the Steam Deck and stuff. Like, yeah, I can play God of War. I have it installed on my Steam Deck, and I don't play it on it. You know, it's like it's one of those things where I I do play the lightweight games more, mostly mm-hmm. because of like battery concerns. Like, I want to be able to play it for more than twenty minutes or whatever. And so, uh, you know, just looking at the size of it, and I think Linus mentioned it's going to be a similar uh, kind of battery performance as the Steam Deck, right? So if we say forty, forty-five watts or whatever it's going to be with two fans now. So it's got twice as much like fans that it has to actually power. I, I don't know. Like I, I get it. The 120 Hertz would be great, you know, and, and we were joking about this before the show It's going to be for 20 minutes, you know, like you're going to be able to just knock out that game for that much time. And I don't know. I, I know if I'm going to sit down and play a game like that, like a really nice experience, I want it to be longer than 20 minutes myself, you know? And so, yeah. um, yeah, I just I'm conflicted about it, but I don't think that we're going to see some huge like battery performance gain. The Steam Deck is already pretty incredible when it comes to just the tweaks and optimizations and all that kind of stuff. I'd rather have something like that than just try to gun it and see if I can get the best uh, best performance or whatever. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. And before people are like, you guys just like the Steam Deck because whatever. That's not true. I, I, I like I like whatever works really, really well and is easy for me to use. So like that's that's where I'm coming from. Uh, and like Russ said, you know, you you hit the gas on on the Steam Deck. You can run that into the ground in an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. How long are these other games? Are, are these games going to last on a device that, you know, arguably will perform better at 15 watts? But if you want the performance that they're going to put on the side of the box, because that's why they went for the big numbers. You're not you're going to kill it in 30 minutes or something. Uh, Richard, any any last thoughts to to wrap up the uh the ROG yeah, ally. One last thought. I think it's I think it's a one failure if um, ROG ally comes into stores into Best Buy retail stores before the Steam Deck does. Uh, Ooh, of, he's <laughs> shots fired. Kind of to the <laughs> same point that that Carrie was making, right? Like I think that for we want users, players to have the best like first impression and whatever you think about the specs of the Steam Deck and how outdated it may be now or a year from now or whatever, I think it provides the most streamlined experience for a player that is new to PC gaming. Um, I, I I know people that never owned a PC before, but they own a Steam Deck, right? A lot of people. Um, and they're not thinking about buying a PC. They're not thinking about now expanding their PC gaming life. Steam Deck is, is the only one. And I think that if Valve isn't able to get Steam Deck and retail stores, but like the ally comes to Best Buy retail shelves, um, it's a huge missed opportunity. All right. Interesting. Uh, all right. Let's move on and talk really quick. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we talked about it extensively last last week. Uh, the Last of Us, uh, be- right before 
Um, or right after the show last week, Carrie, you did a live stream on your Steam Deck playing The Last of Us. I stopped by and I watched for a little bit and you showed off like the super muddy textures. But since then, it's been patched. Has Have you played it since it's been patched and has that improved your experience on the Steam Deck at all? No. <laughs> okay. No, you haven't or no, it hasn't. It hasn't. Both. No, no, it's it's still it's still not ideal. Um, textures are are streaming in late. Sometimes the whole whatever is decompressing and, and waiting to get there. It was wild to see because like I was looking between the two of them between 6800U platforms and Steam Deck. And this is just a cinematic scene. And you can just see like there's parts where and this is happening not just on Steam Deck. It's happening on 6800U as well, just less yeah. frequently on 6800U. Uh, but you can see like. Ellie would just have no freckles on Steam Deck, but she would have freckles on 6800U. And it's like, whoa, that's uh, that's pretty nuts. Uh, so no, it's not there yet. There's a, it, when you look at it, it just, you don't know why the CPU is just spinning its gears like crazy and it's just drilling away. And our problem is the Steam Deck has uh, a limited power budget and it's just being devoured entirely by the CPU, just spinning its cycles in the background. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm hoping that this can get, patched up and fixed some way for what it's worth on 6800 U uh, with the latest uh, AMD drivers that are optimized for last of us that actually runs really, really well uh, at 20 watt. I'm hitting 40 FPS pretty much consistently uh, at those same steam deck settings. So it's like almost night and day difference there. So if you have a 6800 U on windows, just get the latest optimized driver. And that's actually really nice. Uh, absolutely. Uh, Russ, Richard, have you guys been playing that or if not, we can just no. move on. No, not at all. Okay. Uh, real quick, let's see. Um, okay, we've been talking about remakes. Uh, you know, Richard and both and I have both been playing a bunch of Resident Evil Four remake. Ridiculous scores on uh, on Metacritic. Not that I think Metacritic is the end all be all of anything, but it good game gets high scores on there generally. Uh, Metroid Prime Remaster, huge on Metacritic, like. These are the, these two games are going to have the two top scores of the year. I think it's going to be tough to beat them. Uh, and Carrie's holding up something. I can't tell what it is though. What is that? Looks like physical oh, physical copy. copy of the game. Nice. All right. Um, so here's the question: Should these games? Well, first off, could they be? Are they in the running for game of the year for you guys? And if so, should they get their own category instead? when it comes to award time. And before I let you guys answer, I'll just say my thoughts on it. I don't care about awards. I don't care who wins the award or anything like that. But I find it an interesting, I find it to be interesting that the best games this year so far, from according to a lot of people, are games from like what, 15, 20 years ago. Russ, you start us off. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, as long as the game is like redeveloped, which I think these two have been, you know, they're standing on the shoulders of an older IP. I get it, you know, but if a film did this, it would still be eligible for the Oscars. And so uh, I got no issues with having a remake compete with any other brand new game. Like it's just, uh, yeah, I like the idea that they're updating it. And maybe there's a bit of a like nostalgia thing that makes people like it more, you know, because they, they're familiar with it. You know, I obviously... Uh, really enjoy Metroid Prime, like the original one. And so the the remastered one has been a treat just to play. Uh, and I don't think it would be that way if I had to, if it was Metroid Prime 2 remastered because I never played that one. So 
yeah, I get that. There's a nostalgia piece to it, but all the same, it's a new game and uh, it's a new generation of people playing it. And so because of that, yeah, I think it's eligible. Richard? Yeah, I think one thing to note too is that uh, Dead Space 2 or Dead Space remake, that was another remake, right? Oh, I forgot about that one. Yeah, and that's really awesome. Good. It's not, you know, it, it, in terms of like Metacritic, it didn't reach that like top two, top three, but it still did really well. And it's another remake that's just doing really well. I think I like the idea of having them get their own category. I do think it's a different thing. I think that not just nostalgia plays a part, but I mean, we're picking from a litter of, you know, prestigious games already, right? When we're talking about Dead Space, Metroid Prime, Resident Evil 4, we already know that the base of what they're working with is excellent and they can drop the ball and make it, you know, not as good as it was the first time around for some reason. But the base that they're working with is great. And I think that's a little bit different than someone coming in with a brand new, you know, premise, brand new IP or whatever it is. Um, and knocking that out of the park. So I, I like the idea of having a different category, but I also don't, I, I'm not invested enough to say that it should be, that should then be exclusive or excluded from the actual like game of the year award. Fair. Carrie. Yeah. Uh, I, I would have to agree that I don't think it's necessary to exclude them from game of the year awards in any way. If anything, it's just a highlight of a failing of the industry that they are not, they're so cost conscious and uh, conservative that they don't want to invest in money in a new IP that might not work out. Instead, they'll just refix up a game that they know is already good and just resell it. Um, so I'm fine with it, you know, becoming game of the year award or whatever. But that's really just a kind of a, just a bad mark on these gaming companies. But I, I get it. If I was in their situation, too, if I was the money man and I wanted to make money. I'm going to go for the surefire bets. I, I can put myself in their shoes and say, yeah, I can see how you came to that conclusion. Um, but I'm looking forward to Starfield. Starfield's going to win it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, he's already, <laughs> wow. He's already saying it's going to win. No, uh, I mean, dude, <laughs> like we got Tears of the Kingdom coming. This is a hard, this is a, Oof, yeah. this is a big year. Well, I mean, if I, I think that if you look at Metacritic, I think what Zelda Breath of the Wild got like a 97 uh, and I think Metroid is sitting at 96 and I think last of us is sitting at like 95 or something. So, I mean, it's possible. I mean, it's my most anticipated game of the year. In fact, let us know in the comment section, what are your most anticipated games of the year? And maybe we'll have a conversation about that, uh, in the next episode, uh, cause we are coming up on an hour and I, I do want to get this cut off. Uh, but before we go, I just want to say that um, Humble Choice just dropped today uh, the games that are coming out. And there are some really uh, decent games in this list. Uh, do you guys have any recommendations from this? Because I, I know everybody is always talking about Death Stranding. Uh, Roller Drum, to one. me, looked really cool. And Life is Strange, too. I haven't played that one, but I played... Um, did it have a different... The third one had a different naming convention, didn't it? uh uh the colors it wasn't like life is strange oh yeah yeah true colors or something mm. um like that i thought was really cool any of these games jump out to you guys as really cool humble bundle games honestly i don't know any of them other than life is strange and death stranding and death stranding is one of those that i've had on my ps4 forever <laughs> i just need to play that darn game i love hideo kojima games but it just takes me forever to actually get into it so yeah roller drum roller drum is All the right. one for me it's really good it you know you go into it really expecting tony hawk and it's it's different from that it's a lot more focused on shooting than you sort of expect it to be but it's, it's really really good 
Okay. I, I haven't played that, but I loved the art style. Like, the art style reminded me of yeah. the 70s. And as an old man, I was like, oh, nostalgia. I like nostalgia. <laughs> um, <laughs> Russ, you're all about the nostalgia, right? I am. Whole channel on it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, everybody, that does it for uh, today's episode of the Nerd Nest podcast. If uh, you're watching this over on the YouTube channel and you want to just listen to the show, there's also a podcast version of it. So make sure that you check out that link in the uh, description. And if you're uh, listening to this on your podcast player, uh, then you can check out the YouTube channel over at Nerd Nest uh on youtube and uh, russ tell everybody about like you have a video that just came out today uh about the um the rog ally right or is that did, coming yeah. out tomorrow it was this morning yeah so it's just a speculation video about it uh and carrie did the same thing uh mm-hmm. on his channel the fox and it's funny because we have two different things like he's like 120 hertz is gonna be terrible and i'm like i can't wait for 120 hertz and so they're, <laughs> they're both great videos to watch yeah it was a lot of fun to put that together uh, Richard, you want to tell everybody about your next video or your ne- yep, or your last I'm at one? Fan to deck. Um, I I took a break. I was playing Resident Evil Four all weekend, so I didn't make a news roundup this week. Uh, but I'll have another news roundup coming next week after spring break. Awesome. And Carrie. Uh, yeah, I talk about the Asus ROG Ally. I say it's the best thing ever. Um, <laughs> you should all sign up immediately. No <laughs> bad things at all do I say about that thing. Uh, and you can find me at uh, the Fox on YouTube. Awesome. And I've got a video coming out tomorrow about my top five reasons why I think the Steam Deck is fantastic. So make sure that you guys check that out. And uh, as always, thank you to everybody for like the panel for coming and hanging out with us and all of the people who uh, came to hang out in the uh, in the live chat. We hit about 200 people here today. So you guys are fantastic. If you want to support the channel you can uh, either, you know, head on over to Patreon or you can join the membership. And of course, Head on over to these other guys' channels as well and uh, subscribe to them because they are fantastic and the show wouldn't be what it is without them. Bye, everybody.